Good morning, church. All right. That was better than I get from my church on a 4th of July weekend. Happy Independence Day. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore, may we not go back into the yoke of slavery. God, in his grace, has given us a taste of freedom through the blood of Christ, which is the greatest freedom. But here as a nation, we get to celebrate the freedom that that we have been given in this country. And I think it's appropriate that we would pray that God would continue to show us this freedom in our lives and to make it more visible, to bring it to a greater reality than even what it is today for many that are here in our nation that desire to see that freedom renewed and restored. And as we pray this prayer, we know that it is only through the work of Christ that we can truly be free. So join me in prayer. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you. As my hands are upon your word right now, Lord, we recognize that there's no greater freedom than the truth that is found in Jesus Christ. We recognize that God, even to be able to worship here, is a gift. To be able to connect with those who are in Christ, brothers and sisters, those who you redeemed by your blood, Lord, is a gift. And then God, to, to know freedom as a nation, God, not perfect freedom, but to know it, to long that, God, this freedom that we have as a country, Lord, would, would advance in the hearts and lives of those, God, that long for equality and a greater freedom. Lord, we acknowledge that we need your grace as a nation. We acknowledge that we need your grace as a people, And we say, God, as Paul declares in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Would you, Holy Spirit, help us not not live or walk back in the yoke of slavery? And it's Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Jeremiah would probably do a pretty good job on a raft sermon. I mean, just, just looking at the guy, if you've seen him before, he can get kind of raftful, I might think. Um, and so he, he wanted to be more restrained. Uh, so he asked that I would come and, and preach on raft. And um, Jeremiah and Sandy, they are dear friends of mine. Um, it was uh, when they came to to consider church planting with Crosspoint, what was it, nine or ten years ago, Matt? I, I can't remember the exact uh, date, but, but they just came into town that 4th of July weekend, and uh, Carrie and I, my wife, we said, hey, w- what are you guys doing this weekend? We would love to hang out with you. And we went to a 4th of July um, barbecue, we uh, watched the fireworks show, and um, we, we, we just were able to kind of rest in what God might do in our lives and in his life as Crosspoint was planted. There's Sandy. And um, you remember that, Sandy? Just a wonderful time together. And, 
And now to, to step into the, the fullness of what God had been doing then. And then we're going to step into that again and again and again as we watch God's faithfulness pour out upon this church. I've watched his faithfulness pour out upon this church, and it has truly been an honor. Uh, we're continuing our series in the seven deadly sins. And um, if you would turn your Bible to the book of Proverbs, uh, we are going to look at chapter 29, verses 8 through 11. I'll give you a moment to turn there. That's Proverbs 29, verses 8 through 11. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. A fool gives vent to his spirit but a wise man quietly holds it back. So we're doing this series in order to be discipled in what it means to fight for joy in Christ. Fighting for joy in Christ necessarily means that we are fighting or at war against the things that steal our joy in Jesus. That's why we're doing a series on the seven deadly sins. It's not to look at sin. It's to look at Jesus, who is our joy. But if we're not honest with sin, then we'll never be able to see the fullness of Christ and who he is and what he's accomplished for us on our behalf on the cross. And so this fighting for joy is a simultaneous moving toward Jesus by faith and devotion and moving away from sin by grace and obedience. We're moving towards Christ. That's repentance, by the way. And we're moving away from sin. And so by God's grace, this time, our study in the seven deadly sins through the book of Proverbs is going to change our lives. By God's grace, we would be brought more into the conformity of God's beloved Son, Jesus Christ. As I preach on wrath today, I understand that many of us have anger in the room in our lives. We might think, I don't have an anger problem because we didn't go at our neighbor's vehicle with a Louisville Slugger baseball bat, right? Uh, we didn't slash their tires. We don't have this outward form of anger. But yet inwardly, there's a low-grade seething. Because anger isn't something that necessarily happens by us, but anger is something that happens to us. You know what I mean by that? Something has to happen to make us angry. And if I were to sit down with each of you over a cup of coffee or having a meal together, we would sit at a table and we would tell the stories of what happened with our anger and there would be stories of hurt and woundedness. And I would be incredibly empathetic for why you're angry in your life and you would be empathetic as to why I'm angry in my life. 
Not that all anger is justified, but that anger comes from somewhere. Ray Ortland writes this, We have our personal reasons for anger. I don't just mean fighting traffic or settling an argument between the kids. I mean horrible experiences with permanently life-altering repercussions. And we never just get over it. Who of us skates through this life without being betrayed, shamed, lied about, for starters? Some days it can be hard to get out of bed and face the day. A low-grade fever of churning anger can leave us exhausted. You know, I wonder how many of us have this low-grade fever of anger that we might have even brought into the Lord's house. And can I just tell you, that's a good place to bring it, the Lord's house. That's a good place to bring it. It's also a good place to leave it. And by God's grace, we'll leave it here today. Uh, Psalm 4, verse 4 says this. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Be angry, yet do not sin. Anger is, is kind of different from the seven deadly sins in that anger or wrath is not entirely sinful. I mean, because if it was sinful, then God would be a sinner, and he's not. He is not. He is holy and righteous in every way. And so therefore, when God is wrathful or angry, he is holy and righteous in his wrath. It's not asymmetrical. It has no opposite. If there's anger that you experience to some degree, we need to keep it in check. And that means be angry and do not sin. Allow God into that anger. Allow him into your heart. As we prayed the prayer of confession, Lord, help me be honest with myself. And this is good because God wants to get you there. He loves you so much, he wants to get you there. He does not want your life wasted with a constant low-grade fever of anger from something that happened a decade ago. Five decades ago, five days ago, five minutes ago. He doesn't want you to waste your life, to waste the joy in Jesus that exists for us to embrace and receive. And so our big idea for today, our main point is that freedom from wrath is found by trusting in God's perfect wrath upon injustice. The only way we'll find freedom from anger is to trust that God is a God of vengeance and he's going to get it. It is mine, declares the Lord. When we can trust that God is going to right every wrong, when we can trust that God is going to bring justice upon every injustice, when we can trust that we don't have to be the judge, the jury, and executioner for life to go our way, there is a freedom. And it's that freedom that God wants us to experience today as we look at the beauty of his redeeming work. 
Um, stories of wrath and anger are all around culture. Uh, one of my favorite movies. Anybody like the movie Princess Bride? Anybody? Anybody? A couple of you. Wow, that's horrible. You guys, if you haven't watched it yet, you need to, that's your homework for, from this sermon. You got to go watch Princess Bride. But, but you know, um, the, the, the man who's looking for the six-fingered man, he, he, he's looking for the guy that has killed his father when he was young and he slashed both of his cheeks. And he says, trying to find this six-fingered man, he's, he's, he's practiced what he's going to say when he, when he meets him. He says, hello, my name is Aningo Matoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. That, that's my best Latin accent. Hello, my name is Aningo Matoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. You know, we, we, we laugh at that because it's funny. It, it's just so funny to watch how we have made anger this central part of making our lives right when justice is taken into our own hands. But that's a lie. That's a lie. Because we try to put ourselves in the place where only God belongs. It's not going to deliver on its promise. It's a work of the devil that comes from the pits of hell. So when we look at anger, I want to look at the heart of anger, the heart of wrath. And a heart that is steeped in sinful anger is a heart that denies God's perfect justice. A heart that denies God's perfect justice. The scoffer that we come to encounter here in Proverbs is also synonymous with the fool. Just another description of the scoffer. The scoffer is happy to set the neighborhood on fire even if it burns his own house down as long as his neighbors are burned down by it because, man, he had to get them back and it was justifiable. But the scoffer is wrecking himself He's wrecking himself as he sets the city to flames. It's not that the scoffer doesn't always believe in God. They just don't trust God. The scoffer doesn't trust that God is a God of ultimate good. That God looks at their life and wants to accomplish his best for them. And so the scoffer takes matters into their own hands. That's what the fool does. A fool is ignorant because they ignore God. They act as though God doesn't exist. In a lot of ways, we have to be honest with ourselves. We can confess that God exists, but we are functionally practical atheists. We don't believe it. We don't live as if it's reality. And so the heart of the scoffer is happy to see the city burn down to prove that somehow they're right. So somehow... They're justified. But the wise, they turn away wrath. Why do the wise turn away wrath? Because their anger is submitted to the Lord. They've, they've checked their heart. Famous theologian once said, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Who is it? I don't know the, the, the theologian. <laughs> We've got to check our heart. We've got to check 
the things that come up within us. You know, we, we so often assume that the things in us is right and good and pure. And then we assume that that which happens against us is not right and good and pure. And so we're assuming our righteousness while assuming someone else's unrighteousness. Scripture doesn't allow us to do that. In fact, Scripture says that we here are scoffers because we here have turned to our own way. We have set the flames. We have lit the match. We've poured the gasoline. We have let it all burn down. And right, it might not be an outward expression of anger, but how many of us are living with a bitterness that exists in our life that's just stirring the pot from anger here today? You know, um, seven deadly sins, you can look at it almost like you look at a tree And as you look at a tree, you see there's a trunk and underneath that trunk are roots. And from the trunk and roots, it's pride. It's pride. Pride is a heart that's turned in on itself. And as pride wells up in us, then it grows branches. Branches like lust, like wrath, like envy, like greed. And from those branches grow other branches like Bitterness, resentfulness, malice, slander, gossip, you name it. All those things come from pride, a heart that's turning on itself. In fact, Ephesians 4.31 declares, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Paul is dealing with a branch right there, and it's the branch of wrath. From that grows this. From this grows that. From that grows this. You know, sin is just this revolving cycle that continues to deteriorate our hearts and our lives. And we give into it constantly without thought because we think it's right. We don't keep it in check by turning towards God through the power of his Holy Spirit and trusting God's perfect justice. Anger and wrath is a deeply felt emotion when we experiencing when we we experience when something we love is threatened. Um, last toward, towards the end of, of, of spring 2020, we, we watched the video of Ahmad Arbery being gunned down, shot, murdered in a South Georgia neighborhood, going for a run. I was actually, that, that day when the video uh, went public, I was on the phone earlier with a, a friend of mine who's a pastor, African-American pastor in Orlando. And um, I had not known of the video at that point. We were talking about something else. And, and as he was talking, he wasn't his, his, his typically um, cheerful self. And I could, I could hear uh, a sadness in his voice. And I said, hey, is everything okay? He said, man... I just watched this video and it it broke my heart. Makes me so angry. And I didn't really understand what he was referencing. And and so uh, later on, I I watched the video. And man, as I watched that video, my blood just started to boil. How could this happen? Because we love freedom. And when freedom is threatened, it makes us angry. We love justice. And when injustice comes upon others, it makes our blood boil. But listen, friends, 
Our call is to trust in the God of justice. And so we take our emotions and we bring them before God and we say, God, would you have your way in this? Would you let the anger that exists in my life be something that demonstrates your love and your grace? We assume anger is right. Sometimes it takes the form of external rage, but more often than not, it kind of subtly seeps down beneath and it takes the form of external habits. Some of the external habits are when we are betrayed, we make sure that everyone knows the truth about what happened. Make sure everybody knows the truth about what happened. And so we, we make sure we tell our side of the story. And the way we tell our side of the story causes the great amount, greatest amount of pain on the one who has harmed us. When someone says something bad about us, rather than going to them about us, that's a scriptural thing that we're called to do. If somebody says something that offends us, that hurts us, that wounds us, our first calls go to that person. But rather than going to that person, we gossip, we slander, we allow the cycle of rage to continue, and it continues on their end, and it continues on our end. When, we, when, when we're hurt by someone, even someone who ha- asks for forgiveness, we can have the habit of cutting them off because the greatest way we know how to inflict pain upon them is by removing them from our life. Very surgically, if we could do that, we would feel so good about it in order to cause harm to someone else. All these things are symptoms of a bigger problem, and the bigger problem is that we don't trust God in our heart. Proverb 29, 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Sinful anger produces sinful anger that produces sinful anger. And as you give into it in others, it just produces it that way, and it leads to death. This is why it's one of the seven deadly sins. It leads to death. But the wise turn away wrath by putting their trust in the Lord. Uh, I want to look now at the habit of anger, verses 9 and 10. The habit of anger. Wrath is cultivated by allowing anger to fester in our hearts against God and others. Wrath is cultivated. That's the habit of wrath. It's cultivated. We are like farmers that are tilling the ground and preparing good soil for wrath to be born from our lives because we don't see it as weeds that are growing up and choking out the word that exists within our heart. And this wrath, as Proverbs 20 uh, Proverbs 29, 9, 10 says, If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. This wrath is doing damage. It's doing damage against those whom God has called us to love. God has called us to reach. It's so hard to see someone who you are wrathful against, even justifiably wrathful against, as made in God's image and likeness, as an image bearer of God. About five years ago, 
we uh, moved into our house in downtown Orlando. I, I wish we could interview our neighbors before we moved into the house. Anybody? Anybody ever? Man, I just wish I could interview my neighbors. If your neighbor's here, you, you, we're not talking about you. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Just kidding. Um, but so I, I realized that, that there's going to be some quirks with this neighbor. And I didn't realize how significant that they would be. One day, uh, our church was meeting in a YMCA uh, when, when we got started. In fact, we were just meeting up into a YMCA up until recently. And uh, I was serving as a volunteer chaplain, and I would counsel people in the cafeteria that they had at the YMCA. And I was working from this cafe. My wife called me, and she was a little frantic. And my, I, I'm the emotional one of the two, right? I wear my emotions on my sleeve. You, you, you'll just catch me crying, and you're like, what's wrong? I'm, I'm fine. She's even keel. But, but man, she's, she's crying. She's frustrated. She's angry. And I said, what's going on? I can't even understand you. And, and she was able to collect herself for a moment. She said, Ryan, Dave yelled at me. I said, Dave, our neighbor, yelled at you? She said, yes. And I said, why did this happen? She said, Ryan, he cursed me out in front of the kids. And she said he was saying something about how I parked or something like that. I said, what in the world? And as she's talking to me, I'm packing up my bags and we're walking out. Of, I'm walking out of the YMCA. I hang up on the phone. I hang up on her because I'm so frustrated. I'm so angry. I'm not paying attention to anything. Anger takes control. I get in the car. My hands are on the steering wheel, white knuckled. I'm saying, I'm going to punch him. I'm going to hit him with the right and then the left. And I'm envisioning like this MMA fight between me and Dave. I'd take him. I'd take him for sure. And so, and then I think to myself, no, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But this guy just belittled my wife, put her in tears. So I pull up in front of the house. I walk into Dave's garage. He's tinkering with something in the garage. I say, Dave, what just happened? He said, what do you mean? I said, my wife called me crying, saying that you yelled at her, that you cussed her out in front of the kids. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. Said, you know, the way you guys park, I'm like, bro, I don't care how we park. What world are you from where that's okay? It ain't right. And so... That caused the situation to get a lot more tense. <laughs> and he got frustrated and I got frustrated. And he's probably had 10 or 12 drinks up to this point. He's saying, I'm going to call the cops. I'm saying, I'm going to call the cops. And there's just this cycle of mess that exists. And I believe up to that point, my anger, in all honesty, was justifiable. I ain't going to let somebody say that, those things, do those things to my wife and kids without knowing that that is wrong. I think it's right to be there at that point. But where did I go wrong? I allowed this to fester, to cultivate. Man, that night, my frustration, my level of hatred towards my neighbor was through the roof. You know that Jesus says that if you hate your brother, You've as good as killed him. I killed Dave with a thousand daggers in my heart that evening. 
If you have committed adultery in your heart, lusted with your mind, that's as good as going to bed with someone else. You see that, that what, what Jesus does is he brings sin not to a point of this external unrighteousness, but causing us to say, believe, we are guilty. And that in my mind, I demonize Dave. And when you demonize someone, you dehumanize them. This man was unworthy of God's grace and mercy. Do you see what the problem is? This is someone who God says, love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> like, thanks for putting him right next to me, Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a person that God has called me to. And, and I wish I could tell you that, man, we had a kumbaya moment and Dave accepted Christ and we baptized him in my swimming pool. No way, that didn't happen. I, Dave moved and I don't know where he's at to this day. But as I was driving here this morning, you know what I'm doing? I'm praying for his salvation. I'm praying for God's grace to meet him at his point of need. Because listen, I know myself, and I'm worse than him. I'm worse than him. I am more in need of God's grace than him because I know, I know the sin that exists in my own heart. Our habit of anger is one that we must turn to the Lord. When, when I talk about Habits. I'm talking about these well-worn paths that we travel down. Uh, a few years ago, uh, we went up to um, the Adirondack Mountains of New York, Lake George, uh, to go um, play in the snow that Christmas time. If you've never seen, it's the white fluffy stuff that comes down from, from the sky. Uh, really fantastic experience. I'm a Floridian, so um, hadn't seen a whole lot of snow in my life. And uh, if you've ever been sledding before, you know that that snow might look white and fluffy and you're going to just glide down that snow, that first path down. It doesn't happen that way. You get on the sled to push you down. It's like snow's coming in your face. It's all over. And, and, um, but you, you keep going down the path. You don't start a new path. You keep going down the same path because the more you go down the path, the more the ice compacts and the more slick it gets. And that path is something that you travel down on a regular basis. We, we have these paths of sin, lust, wrath, envy. They're, they're paths that are well-worn in our hearts. And we need a new way. We need a new habit. God, by his grace, gives us a new habit in a new way. Because we see that God has the habit of steadfast love. This is one of the most common refrains in all of Scripture. It's the steadfast love of God. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. <laughs> They're new this morning. God's mercies are new for you. you. You think his anger is burning against you because you've done something wrong. You know, that's a habit of the heart that we have to lay before the Lord as well because we have to trust God's word when it says his mercies are new. Great is your faithfulness, says Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. God's habit is the habit of steadfast love. Now we can't conjure up that habit in our own hearts, but we have to look 
to the Lord. And this is where we need help. And the help is, do we see our sin and will we turn to the Lord to help us? Do we see our sin for what it really is? Do we see that low-grade fever of anger as something that's sinful before a holy and righteous God? Do we see that? Do we see the external rage? Sometimes my wife will say, I have road rage. I'm like, oh, that's, you're exaggerating a little bit there, sweetheart. Do we see that as something that has to be turned to the Lord for help? We can't fix ourselves. We can't. We can't fix our anger problem. We can't fix our lust problem. We can't fix our envy problem. We can't fix our greed problem. We can't fix our pride problem. We we can turn to all the self-help books. There are millions of self-help books. You can try to fix yourself, but internally, you are still corrupted to the core. Why? Because we need the habit of steadfast love, which comes in Christ, which cleanses us, redeems us from the inside out. This is where we must trust in the perfect wrath of God upon injustice. Verse 11, a fool gives vent to his spirit, but the wise man quietly holds it back. A fool doesn't allow their heart to be in check by the grace of God. Fool doesn't allow their life to come under the blood of Jesus to bring about redemption. The wise man quietly holds it back because the wise look to the perfect wrath of God. And where do you see the perfect wrath of God? On the cross. We, we just sang the words, wonderful cross. How is an instrument of execution wonderful? How in the world is that wonderful? The world looks upon us and says that's foolish to say that that execution device is wonderful. But we look at the cross and we see God's justice brought upon Jesus and not upon us. That's what the wrath of God is in all of its perfection. Like a magnifying glass, all of God's wrath bore upon Christ on that day. And what Jesus Christ accomplished when he said the words, it is finished, was the perfect satisfaction of the wrath of God on the basis for the fact that I am a sinner and I am in need of a Savior. And there's my Savior on that cross. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole on that cross. He drank it down to the dregs. There is not a drop left of the wrath of God upon you. And that's how we trust in the perfect wrath of God. We see it in Jesus. And we know that while we deserve it, he bore it. And because he bore it, we get what he deserves, which is eternity in heaven, eternal life, joy in Christ. So has someone sinned against you? I pray that they have put their hope and trust in the redeeming work of Jesus on the cross. And rather than curse them, you can praise God that they have received his grace and forgiveness and you can pursue it in peace 
through the reconciliation of the blood of the Lord. If someone has not put their hope and trust in the cross, you can trust that God's perfect judgment will bear down on them in one way or another. That they'll pay for their sin or Jesus Christ will. And, and, and listen, I plead for you, church, in this. As Christians, may we plead that they would be redeemed by the power of the cross so that they would not suffer eternal torment because of their sins. Yes, while they deserve it, but yes, while we would deserve that too, God's grace is given to us. And we can trust God's perfect wrath. Frederick Buechner says of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll your tongue over the prospect of bigger confrontations still to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel of pain you are given and the pain you're given back. In many ways, it is a, fit, a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that while you are, what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. We've cannibalized ourselves as we've given our hearts to anger. You know what the Spirit of God wants to do today? He wants to set you free from that. He wants you to look at the cross afresh and anew. He wants you to trust that God, in His perfect, righteous anger, will bring about redemption of all that's taken place in you. And like I said, we, we could sit and we can talk about it over tears. We could grieve bitterly. But let's grieve with hope because God has given us the joy of Christ who is the perfect sacrifice. First Peter 2, 23 and 24, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to one to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, by his wounds, church, by his wounds, you have been healed. Freedom from wrath is trusting that. By his wounds, I've been healed. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, thank you. Lord, I pray for those who today might be processing your word. Father God, maybe even some who've closed their heart off to your word entering into their lives because it's hard to trust you through what they've been through. It's hard to trust you, Lord. And I confess that. That's why we need your spirit, Lord. I pray that, that God, as surely as many of us are wrestling with the sin of anger, Lord, you would provide the help and hope of your Holy Spirit to bring about conviction that leads to repentance, Father God. Conviction that leads to changed lives, because our hearts have been changed. So Holy Spirit, would you do that inner work? 
as we contemplate the wonderful cross, would you do that inner work? Would you free us from the inside out? God, help us, as Psalm 4.4 says, be angry and do not sin, but ponder in our hearts what you are doing and trust you as we live our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, the church says together, amen.